You are listening to a weekend message from New Life Church in Fort Smith. We would love to connect with you, so find us on Instagram or Facebook at NLC Fort Smith. Enjoy the message. All right. Do you know anyone in your life that is a little negative? Like, don't look at them if they're here, all right? But everybody has somebody that tends to be a little more negative, a little more critical than others. I was listening to a lady the other day tell me about this person. She, she wrote a birthday card, and she put a gift card in the birthday card, in the mail, and sent it to someone that she knows. And she was happy to be able to do that. And the person got it, and they gave her a call, and they said, hey, I got that card in the mail. And she's like, oh, yeah, yeah, happy birthday. And they said, next time, do a different gift card. That one wasn't very good. And she said, I wanted to slap them upside the head with the gift card. You know what I mean? Like, you have people like that in your life. If you are doing anything worthwhile with your life, at some point, you're going to be criticized for it. Somebody, somehow, some way, they'll find a way to criticize you. I think it's important that you know how to handle criticism when it comes your way. Because if you don't, and you're caught off guard and you don't know how to handle it, you'll be defensive. It may cut you deep, you know, it may make you angry, you may feel insecure. But the most important thing is... If you don't know how to handle criticism, the enemy will make sure there's always someone in your life to criticize you and bring you down. He will manipulate you by using criticism. So it's so important for all of us to know what to do when it comes our way. 1 Corinthians 16.9 says, There is a great opportunity here for an effective work, even though there's also much opposition. It's like, hey, there's a lot that we can get done. We can live lives for the glory of God. We can bring people to Jesus. There's tons of opportunity, but there's also going to be opposition. Anytime there's opportunity in your life, listen to me, there will always be opposition. How do you handle it? It's important for you to understand that in the last days, scoffers will make fun of you. Second Peter 3.3. This is so true, especially for young people. If you live a life that is pleasing to God, at some point, you don't even have to be in the spotlight. You're just going about your life. I'm walking and I'm following Jesus. At some point, criticism will find you and you got to know how to handle it. There's only one person that aced it every single time. Who is it? Jesus. It's Jesus. He's the only one that got it right every single time. When someone took a shot at Jesus, he knew how to respond, when to respond. He also knew how not to respond and when not to respond. And outside of Jesus, everybody else is a mixed bag. I mean, we see prophets, we see disciples run away from criticism and threats. We see one guy, he, he reacts and he cuts off somebody's ear. Now, I liked it, but Jesus didn't care for it that much. We see in somebody else, they, see, they sink into panic attacks. And the guy that we're looking at today, a story out of 2 Samuel, we're looking at King David. King David, uh, sometimes he gets it right and sometimes he gets it wrong. The story that we read today he gets it right. Other parts of his life, he gets it wrong. Actually, at the end of his life, 
You would think that this is King David, right? He is uh, he's someone that loves the Lord, and he's at the end of his life, and you would think that everything that he says at the end of his life would be like a beautiful worship song, like the most wonderful uh, worship album could come uh, in his final days. But actually, uh, it's kind of funny. It's kind of like... It's kind of like the Godfather, honestly. He calls Solomon in, and he says, Solomon, listen to me. All these people that have done me wrong, you've got to kill them. <laughs> he gives Solomon a list of three people to kill on his deathbed. I love that, all right? All that to say, listen, there is grace in this place for when you don't get it right. I need that grace more than probably you need that grace because I get it wrong my own self. When I was living in New York City, I worked for a big ministry. And when people would come in to visit, I was the guy that would drive the van around the city and show them all the sights and all the things. And so one night, it was a Friday night, people had come in, they told me, I need you to drive me all over the place. And so I had a van full of pastors and my boss and my boss's boss were all in the van and I was driving. So I'm up and down and they want to go on Friday night into Manhattan and they want to eat at a restaurant and they asked me to drive them there. And so I get over there and parking a church van on Friday night in Manhattan is not the easiest thing. And so for about 40 minutes, I drove around this block looking and I'd expand. I go to the next block and I go to the next block and then I'd come back and I'd come back and looking for a parking spot. And I'd see little spots every now and then. Some of them weren't big enough for this van. And so people would say, hey, why don't you park there? And I'd be like, I, I can't park there. It's not big enough. And then they'd say, hey, why don't you park there? I was like, I can't. No parking. I'll get a ticket. One by one, people in the van, there's a spot. It doesn't work. There's one. It doesn't work. Eventually. Eventually, after 40 minutes of hearing that, hey, why don't you park there? Rora, stop right there. I said, okay, I'll stop. I slammed on the brakes. I threw it in the park. I said, you want to park the van? You park the van. And I got out and I left the van sitting in the middle of 2nd Avenue in New York City. I stormed to the sidewalk and then that moment of clarity. <laughs> and it's like, this was a bad idea, <laughs> you know. So I need grace as much as anyone needs grace. This is a place with grace. Let me give you a little background on today's passage. Second Samuel will be in chapter 16. David was a great king, but he was a flawed man. He didn't always make the right choice. He wasn't a very good father at a lot of times. And there's a bunch of stuff in this story just all through 2 Samuel, you should read uh, in this story in his life that would make like a, a really good Old Testament Dr. Phil episode. Like there was a lot of dysfunction, okay? And David's son, Absalom, led a coup against him to take the throne. And King David ended up fleeing, okay? And so that's where we pick up in this story. David is fleeing. He's surrounded by people that care for him, that have his back. He's got his mighty men, people that came to support him because they knew this guy is going through a lot. And then there's someone that came out to criticize him on his way out of town. There's a guy named Shimei. And I'm going to read this passage, 2 Samuel, starting at verse 5 in chapter 16. 
Lots of words in there. Please remember, I grew up in Magnolia, Arkansas, so I might struggle a little bit. That's all right. We're going to go. As King David approached Bahurim, a man from the same clan as Saul's family came out from there. His name was Shimei, son of Gera, and he cursed as he came out. He pelted David and all the king's officials with stones, though all the troops and the special guard were on David's right and left. As he cursed, Shimei said, get out, get out, you murderer, you scoundrel. The Lord repaid you for all the blood you shed in the household of Saul, in whose place you have reigned. The Lord has given the kingdom into the hands of your son Absalom, and you have come to ruin because you are a murderer. Then Abishai, son of Zeruiah, said to the king, why should this dead dog curse my lord, the king? Let me go over and cut off his head. Amen. Then king said, what does this have to do with you, you sons of Zeruiah? If he's cursing, because the Lord said to him, curse David, who can ask, why do you do this? Then David fled, said to Abishai and all of his officials, my son, my own flesh and blood is trying to kill me. How much more than this Benjamite? Leave him alone. Let him curse, for the Lord has told him to. It may be that the Lord will look upon my misery and restore me to his covenant blessing instead of his curse this day. So David and his men continued along the road while Shimei was going along the hillside opposite him, cursing as he went and throwing stones at him and showering him with dirt. The king and all the people with him arrived at their destination exhausted, and there he refreshed himself. So David is fleeing. Shimei comes out. He's throwing rocks. He's throwing dirt. He's cursing. He's treating uh, King David like they would treat a stray dog back in the day, throwing rocks to try to get him out of there. And the whole while, we get to see how David and his people respond to this criticism from Shimei. I'm going to give you a few things that I think we can take away from this passage. If you're taking notes, here's the first one. Number one is this. Criticism hurts worse when you're down. There are times in our lives where things become real messy and life isn't working out the way that you want. David, in this moment, is a mess. His son is trying to take the kingdom from him. And you have to put yourself a little bit here in David's shoes and try to get into what he's thinking as he's riding away and fleeing. He has to be wondering stuff like, where did I go wrong with this boy? Like, what could I have done different? What should I have done different? When criticism hurts the most, it's usually when it's piled on top of other things going on in your life. And sometimes you're like at the very end of yourself and someone says something that's little and that little thing is all it takes for the whole thing to blow up. Sometimes it's not even that big of a deal. When I, earlier this year, my whole family had COVID and we were all in the house, all sick, all four of us, maybe the dogs too, I don't know. And everybody was like down and feeling bad and I couldn't get to work and I was locked in the house for a week and I, I was just kind of miserable. And my wife, who never gets sick, uh, had a harder time with it than any of the rest of us. And so even though I didn't feel good, I was feeling better than she was feeling. And so I said, all right, I'm going to go 
I'm going to do my best to take care of my family while everybody's sick. So I, feeling sorry for myself, hobbled into the kitchen, you know. I open up the pantry. You start finding stuff in the pantry you bought three years ago you didn't even know you had. I found a bag of tortellini. I said, I'm going to make this tortellini for my family with my last strength. And so I went and I put the thing in the, the, the pot and I boiled the tortellini and I found a jar of sauce and I poured it on top of the tortellini and I put it in the bowls and I just kind of hobbled into everybody's room and I left a bowl here and I left a bowl here and I left a bowl here and I said, God, I'm so tired. And then I heard somebody say, is it supposed to taste like this? And that's never good, right? You don't ever ask that when it tastes better than you thought. You only ask it when it tastes worse than you thought. And for me, it wasn't much, but I was already tired. I was already worn out. I was sick. I wasn't feeling good. I was down in the dumps. And it was the thing that set me off. And I just stared into space. And I was like, no, no, it's not supposed to taste like this. Everything's terrible. This is why you should always keep a DiGiorno in your freezer. Amen. That's pastoral advice for you. I'll tell you right now. Listen, when you're tired, when you're sick, when you've gone through something hard in your life, when you're lonely, when you have a family meltdown, even the smallest little thing can feel like a slap across the face. We can all handle some criticism. Everybody can. But when you're already going through something else, it multiplies the emotional weight of whatever you're going through. So that's why when criticism comes your way, you need to first stop and say, okay, is this that big of a deal or am I just needing a nap? Amen. Number two, critics love to remind you of the mistakes that you've made, of your past mistakes. Let me see here. Who, who here has ever made a mistake in their life? Okay, you're in good company. I see a few of you that haven't. I'm going to ask you to preach next week. Amen. It'll be good for us all. In this passage, we see Shimei remind David of something. It says this, as he cursed, Shimei said, get out, get out, you murderer, you scoundrel. Now, the truth is, David was a murderer. And some people could say he was a scoundrel. One of his men, his mighty men, he had him sent to the front line so that he would be killed so that he could steal his wife. Like this was a bad thing that David had done. And there are going to be things in life that you do. And you may think this is going to follow me around for the rest of my life. Look, I'll tell you this. There are people in this church that have made mistakes. I'm one of them. You're one of them. But this is going to be a place where we don't define someone by the worst thing in their life. We don't look at someone when they walk in here and all we think of is, man, did you hear what they did? Do you know what's going on with them? We want to be a house where we believe that God can forgive and wash our hearts as white as snow and give us a clean slate. We believe that Jesus forgives. A critic, someone that is criticizing you in order to hurt you, and they remind you of the things that you've done and who you used to be, the root of that is they don't want you to be forgiven. 
They want you to pay the price for your mistake over and over and over again. A lot of times it's because they themselves are holding on to a hurt that they have and they haven't felt forgiven. But this place is going to be a place that we read about in Ephesians 4.32. It says, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Listen, are there consequences to sin? Yes. And one thing that I worry about is maybe I don't talk about that enough. Sin has fruit, just like following Jesus and walking by the Spirit has fruit. If I follow Jesus and I walk by the Spirit, he produces good things in me. If I follow after my flesh and I live a life of sin and I make mistakes, these things also have fruit. The fruit of sin is always destruction. It's always death. And I want you to know about that because that is a reality. That's why we encourage every person in this place daily follow after Jesus because we want you to have that good fruit. So yes, there are consequences to sin, but Jesus forgives you for your sin. And we as Christian brothers and sisters seek to walk in that same forgiveness. And I think so many people, listen to me, walk around holding on to the mistakes that they've made and they let that define who they are. When you are in Christ, you are a new creation. You are a new creature. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things are new. And so I'm setting my vision not to my past, but to what lies before me. I'm not letting yesterday's mistakes rob me of what God has for me today. So I encourage you, if you're here and you say, man, I'm just still holding on to these things that I've messed up on, go to the cross, give it to Jesus, accept his forgiveness, and then move forward towards what God has for you you. Amen. Number three, I got two options when I'm faced with criticism. This is what you see in the passage. I can either react or I can respond. This is how we see it play out here. Verse nine says this, then Abishai, son of Zeruiah, said to the king, why should this dead dog curse my lord, the king? Let me go over and cut off his head. Abishai, this is a bit of a reaction to what we're seeing here. It's angry words, angry spirit. He's got some angry plans. And let me just say this, even though the whole point here is that you shouldn't react to criticism, my personal preferences, I kind of like one friend around like this. You know what I mean? Someone that's like, yo, why is this guy talking to you with that tone? It's all wrong. Let me go cut him. I'm like, thank you. I don't do it, but thank you for that. I appreciate it. I want people like that in my life. But this is not a good way to respond to negativity and criticism. And this is what we see in David. David knows that. He sees it. David doesn't react. David responds. He's led by the Spirit. He actually gives him the benefit of the doubt. He said, maybe, maybe this is from the Lord. He said to him, what does this have to do with you? If he's cursing because the Lord said to him, curse David, who can ask, why do you do this? It may be that the Lord will look upon my misery and restore me to his covenant blessing instead of his curses today. David said, I don't know why this is happening, but maybe it's from the Lord. Maybe part of it is. When you receive criticism, a lot of people deal with it this way. Either 
they internalize 100% of it. And they're like, I am terrible. I'm the worst ever. Or they reject it like, mind your own business. Don't talk to me. You don't know me. I ain't going to listen to you. That's how people usually respond. A mature believer says, all right, I hear it. Probably 96% of it is not true. I reject it. But 4%, 4% may be true. And maybe even though the enemy is using this person, maybe the Lord is trying to speak to me in it. So what are you trying to say here, Lord? That 4% that they're right? Okay, I'm going to take that. I'm going to make some changes in my life because I can take that, but I'm going to reject the rest of it. A mature believer has the ability to stand in the criticism but not react to it. They respond. You see this perfected in Jesus He said, I tell you, don't resist an evil person. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other cheek also. For Jesus, they pulled his beard, they spit on him, they mocked him, they accused him of everything, and he didn't react at all. Choose to respond, not to react. The other part that I love about this is, You know, this guy is saying all this stuff to him. And David said, my son, my own flesh and blood is trying to kill me. What is he saying? He's like, I got bigger problems than what this guy is trying to bring my way. Like, I got bigger issues happening. I got family crisis that's so much bigger than anything that this guy is trying to bring up to me. When you're led by the Spirit, the Bible says the Holy Spirit will lead you into all truth. And part of that leading into truth is that he will give you the proper perspective when you're faced with challenges and tough things. And sometimes you can have something that happens to you or someone gives you criticism and and it sounds like a big deal. And the Holy Spirit will say, let it go. It's not a big deal. Just love him. (sighs) Yes, Lord. Follow the Holy Spirit. Be led to him. I can't control what other people say about me, how they criticize me, but I can control how I respond. I can respond with more honor than what they gave me, with more love than what they gave me. I can have more patience than what they have. I can have uh, more peace. I can walk in love. Why? Because I'm awesome? No, it's because the Spirit gives me the strength to do it. Like I'm following Jesus and he gives me the grace and the strength. Some of the hardest things that you have to do as a Christian is learn when to say nothing. The easiest thing is just, I'm going to react immediately. This is especially true on social media. You see something and you say, I got to get in there. Tick, 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 tick. Don't tell me. Sometimes the the godliest thing you can do is say, I'm going to go for a walk. See you later, Facebook. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. When they attack you, you're blessed in him. Amen. Number four, don't let criticism keep you from moving forward. At the very end of this, you see the king and all the people with him arrived at their destination exalted. 
This is a 21-mile trip that King David is on. It would have taken them 10 hours to get there. And the whole way, they have someone yelling curses, throwing dirt, throwing rocks at them. And they didn't get distracted. They didn't get sidetracked. They didn't stop. They stayed focused. And they moved forward. And they got where they were supposed to be. So much of life is this. Don't quit. So much of life is don't quit. Stay faithful. Stay faithful. Stay faithful. You see God strengthen them and give them the ability to go. They just don't quit. I'm going to keep going until I get there. My boys started playing football this year. Greenwood Bulldogs, Town, champion football down there. And he came home from practice. And I said, how was it? He's like, it was all right. I was like, what happened? He's like, my coach yelled at me. I said, that's good. <laughs> I'm glad, you know, and I encourage him in that. Hey, don't give up. He's yelling at you because he wants you to do something different because he's trying to do something better for you. He's trying to get you in a better position. He's trying to make you into a winner. Don't quit. Does it feel good to get yelled at? No, absolutely not. Don't quit. Don't give up. God has not brought you from where he's brought you from as far as he's brought you, then just to stop and to leave you. He is faithful, so remain faithful. God will never fail. Actually, we sing a song about, uh, we used to sing it a while back, and a friend of mine said, there's part of the song that says, he's never failed me yet. And my friend was like, when's he going to fail? And I was like, never. <laughs> You're right. He's never going to fail. You stay faithful to him. He is always faithful to you. When the road gets tough, listen to me, and things go wrong and things get bumpy and you get criticized and you feel like people hate you and they talk bad about you and they mistreat you and they do it and the road is tough, you need to know God can go off road, all right? There ain't no road too bumpy for him, amen? And he says this in Isaiah 41, this is one of these passages that I would say you need to keep this in your pocket at all times because it's not just somebody telling you what God will, will do in a given situation. This is God himself making a promise to you. He says, do not fear for I am with you. Do not be dismayed for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. God will give you the strength and the grace to keep going. David got to where he was going. You will to remain faithful. Number five, last thing, learn how to refresh yourself in the Lord. At the very end of this passage, it says, and there he refreshed himself. That word refreshed in Hebrew, it means this, to be breathed on by God. And David knew, I got to get something from God that no one else can give me. Like, I've got to be refreshed, and it's got to be a touch from heaven because I'm empty inside. A few weeks ago, I had just, honestly, just a brutal week. Some of our dearest friends lost their little daughter. And we found out, they live about five hours from here. And we found out 
on a Monday morning and Jess and I just got in the car and drove so that we could be with him. And then that week, back and forth, back and forth, and had just, it was just one of the most gut-wrenching things that we had gone through with our friends. And uh, my friend Marcus, y'all know Marcus, many of you, he came, or he called me. He's like, how you doing? And I said, well, I feel empty. Like I'm just, I'm exhausted emotionally, physically, I'm just drained. And he told me, he said, you gotta get this. You gotta be refreshed. How do you let God refresh you? Like, what is it that you do? Because you gotta know. You gotta know how to get in his presence. You gotta know how to get with Jesus in a way that it gives you life. And for some of you, when you're empty, maybe it's just, I got to go on a walk. I got to get outside and meditate on the promises of God. Like, I got to keep my mind on what he's promised me, and I just need to be outside. I know people that they need to be outside. Uh, For some people, it is, I got to get busy serving. Like, if I can get my mind off my situation and I can put it on someone else and how I can help them, like, God fills me up when I'm doing that. Some of you, it's sitting and digging into God's word. And like this brings me life when I need it the most. Some of you, it's like I need some time, some stillness, some quiet. And for me, when I'm like especially drained like I was then, I have a chair on my back porch. My dogs have all chewed it up, but it still works. (laughs) And I like it when I can get up early and it's quiet and there's nobody driving around and the neighborhood is quiet. I even, I've been up a few times these last couple of weeks where it's still dark out and the stars are out and I I just sit on that back porch and I just remember the love of God and how good he is. Yes, I read my Bible every day. I pray, I worship, I do all those things. But sometimes I just need that stillness and that quiet. And I just say, God, I need a refreshing in my spirit right now. And I'll tell you, he's faithful to do it. He wants you to get to where you're going. If you're following him, he wants to lead you all the way to the end and he will refresh you and give you the strength to do it. 